It's a hot and dry day. The sun is sitting directly overhead and is scorching the land. The only reprieve from this desert seems to be the trees that provide shade along the side of the river. A wild man stands in the water as he shouts to the people. A crowd of people slowly gathers. Some wonder what this crazy man is saying. Some are intrigued and inspired while others are infuriated with rage. As he speaks, the message becomes clear. He is speaking about a future. It is a different kind of place, an existence that calls those listening to something greater. A redemption, a washing of their brokenness. Some clearly broken people enter the water and he washes them, not like a bath, but like a cleansing and a renewal. He speaks of forgiveness, of spirits, of a changing of the king. He speaks of another who is coming, one greater than all others, one who brings things that are unfathomable. One who brings restoration of the people, one who will finally make things right. Coming down to the water, a new figure on the screen. He is a new teacher of the scriptures, a rabbi. He's not like the others who have entered the, the water. He is not a broken person. His presence oozes with confidence and dignity. And yet he enters the water alongside this crazy, rugged wilderness man who wears camel hair and eats locusts. What does this teacher have to repent? As he comes out of the water, something strange and unexpected happens. It is simply indescribable. It is as though a new age has come, as though hope has been restored, and as though what is to come can and will be glorious. This moment in time may have seemed inconsequential to those watching, yet as the story sets the tone for the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark begins not with the birth of Jesus or a genealogy. No, John Mark, perhaps one of the most broken and discarded shares of the good news, chooses to start with the exaltation of the change that is about to take place. The good news, the deliverance of Israel is at hand and it begins with the repenting and believing in the gospel. Oh, what good news that Jesus first proclaims that the kingdom of God has come near. When I tell people I work with middle school students, I often experience an interesting phenomena. They most often give me the strangest of looks that they could never understand why I would choose something like that. As if middle schoolers are the worst and most vile things that exist on the earth. And I'm caught wondering if they are so greatly tormented by their existence, their own existence as 11 to 14 year olds, that they spent thousands on therapy trying to move on. Or if they were somehow caught unaware as somebody they loved, a child, became a monster. Perhaps it's seemingly the endless energy or the aversion to authority that made them bitter. But I, on the other hand, I love 
that I get to be a part of the lives of middle school students. You may wonder why or be confused why I chose such a path, but the truth is I didn't choose the path. I didn't choose this task, and I didn't always love serving middle school students. I was never able to answer the question as a kid what I wanted to be when I grew up. Something about being a cowboy always seemed awesome until I met one and I saw the tight pants and the dirt and that just wasn't for me. Maybe the most realistic thing that I desired was to be a pro baseball player. I loved me some Ricky Henderson, some Pudge Rodriguez and Barry Bonds. Oh, the glory days. But what, truth be told, what I had in passion was far greater than what I had in athletic ability. I only really knew what I wanted, what I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be like my dad. Sounds weird. I didn't want to be a computer programmer. I didn't want to work in like the banking industry and sit in front of a computer all day. It sounded awful to me. So I had one thing going my way. So as a high school student, I decided I'm going to go to a career center and I'm going to take a test. Now, this test was supposed to tell me exactly what I was supposed to do with my life. But this test had an odd result. This odd result came back and it said I should be one of three things. I should be a military service member, a police officer, or a youth pastor. Now, to be quite honest, I don't know how it got these things because to be a military service member, that usually means submitting to some kind of authority. I wasn't good at that. In fact, I am pretty sure that I would have been one of the most belligerent service members ever to join up. Not because I don't desperately love and care for those people. I just have a hard time taking orders that I don't understand. Um, Being a police officer never really seemed realistic for me. I'm not sure why. Maybe it was being shot at. But actually, the most strange was that being a youth pastor seemed like a joke. I certainly spent a lot of time at church between being on student leadership at my middle and my high school group, between spending 12 years weekly going to Awana, between and, or missing, missing sports to be at church. I was certainly committed, but being a youth pastor seemed like it was going to be a disappointment to my family. You see, my parents are business people. They've been doing it forever. They're in the world of business. And I had always heard and felt the expectation that I would major in business, that I would follow in business. And truth be told, I wasn't bad at it. I took my first business class and I did so well, but something seemed shallow in my heart because I didn't understand how I could live my life sinking and desiring more wealth. That wasn't something that worked for me. I wanted something more for life. I just didn't know what it was. And so business seemed like it was the only opportunity, the only option that I had in my life going forward. But something changed my perspective. There was a moment when I was confronted with the reality of something I was not ready for. The gauntlet had been thrown and there was no way I was going to be able to back out. I was, never, I was not going to be able to come up with an answer or a response that got me out of it. I was confronted with the reality of the kingdom of God. I was asked the question if I was ready to encounter God for myself. Was I ready to follow him or not? 
I was met by God in that day in an intense way. And it wasn't specifically what was being said or asked or challenged that I struggled with, but I had battled for years with knowing God, but not wanting to follow him. I didn't want the rules. I wanted to do what made me happy. In that moment, God hit me and I experienced an epiphany. For me, the realization of realizations, it was that to follow God doesn't mean a half-hearted attempt at understanding, but it was to be fully invested and totally encompassing, giving over of my life. It wasn't about me and my happiness. It was about God and his kingdom. It was about the work of God in the world and the space he made for me to participate. It was in that moment that gave me hope for the future. In this series, we've been talking about hope and we've been giving legs and vision to our hope growing. And we've shared and landed on this definition of hope. It's that hope is a life lived in increasingly confident expectation that God's promises are true and that he will act in our lives and in our world. Hope is a life lived in an increasingly confident expectation that God's promises are true and that he will act in our lives and in our world. This is about increasing our yes in Christ. Truth be told, God has a great hope and a plan. He desires amazing and wonderful things. And each step of the journey of faith is an opportunity for us to allow our hope to grow. One of the most popular verses in the Bible, Jeremiah 29, is Jeremiah 29, 11. It's memorized and quoted. It's engraved on plaques and scrolled on magnets. People call it their life verse and they tattoo it on their bodies. And it says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. There is a hope for the future. The problem with this verse is that it's one of the verses that's most affected by poor translation. This verse sounds like the plan that God has for you is as individuals to be wealthy and have an awesome and amazing life. But that could not be further from the truth. There is a hope for the future, but it may not be what you have suspected. There is a hope for the future, but it is not for you alone. You see, as we look at the book of Jeremiah and you step back, you will find a broken and abused man proclaiming to the exiles in Babylon why God has punished them. You will find Jeremiah complaining and yet speaking of the destruction of Israel. But there is hope for these unruly people who have been vanquished by their enemies. There is hope for them, even though the beautiful the glorious and amazing Solomon's temple has been destroyed and their connection with God has been severed. There can be restoration in their relationship with God. This is not a promise of an amazing life. This is a promise of an opportunity to be a part of something. It's a promise for a future that has hope. There is a hope for the future, but it is not for you alone. 
Jeremiah does not prophesy that these people will in fact watch as things are restored. He simply provides a future focus. This is not the short-term plan. It comes to fruition not in the five years or the 10 years. This is the 70-year plan, 7-0, 70-year plan. It is certainly filled with hope and these people can certainly take part, but it is not for them alone. It is not for you alone. There is a hope for the future, but it comes by hoping for the community. It is a call not to lose hope. Our yes is at stake for us to press forward, not of ourselves, but for something bigger. We are invited to be a part of a community. We are invited to be part of the kingdom of God. Our hope grows when we realize that God will restore all things. But we are given a challenge. We are challenged to watch our hope grow, not based on material things, but to see the future of God's people as that which brings hope. There is a hope for the future and it is realized by working for the kingdom of God now. Jeremiah transformed the people. He is one of the greatest and most recognizable prophets. And yet he was like a great artist in his day. He was rejected by his people and only after his time was he respected. Jeremiah did not have a happy life with a white picket fence, 2.5 kids, a dog, and a vacation home in Tahoe. No, he had a troubled existence. But it was an existence filled with hope. It was a life that kept the future in mind. There is a hope for the future. Our hope grows when we focus on the future and work to make it a reality. Our hope grows when we focus on the future and work to make it a a reality. The Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels because they recount the story of the news of Jesus's coming, the good news. It is filled with hope. These books are focused on the complete restoration of all things. John Mark, the author of the second gospel, had to reshape his world and change his perspective. He was a broken and he was a broken dude who left Paul in the middle of one of his missionary journeys. He was outcast by the community. He had a struggled journey. It was not easy. Yet he writes a story that we began with today, recounting the story of Jesus that we call Mark. It begins with the narrative of John the Baptist as he proclaims a new order in the wilderness. An order that involves an end to ourselves, beginning with repentance that marks the nearness of the kingdom of God on earth. The first words that Jesus speaks in the gospel. It is a gospel in which the words of Jesus at the very beginning are the hope of all of Israel. Ever since the days of Isaiah, the people have been looking for a king who is going to restore the right order. The former glory 
bring back the glory days of Solomon. And John Mark found this hope. He found his hope. And it wasn't in being famous like Paul. It wasn't in being wealthy. It wasn't in having great kids or voting on the right ballot measure the right way. His hope was found in the kingdom of God. There is a hope for the future, but it may not have been what you expected. Instead, the kingdom of God is a different kind of place. Our hope is raised in the kingdom of God in ways previously unexplored and unexpected. God's kingdom is not a is not one of a God who kills all who oppose him. No, it is not the kingdom that drives away the Romans, the Greeks, the Persians, or the Babylonians. God's kingdom is seen instead through the miracles, the suffering, the care for the lost, the broken, and the poor. It's the restoration, the making things right. God's kingdom is a kingdom where all things are made right. It is the living out of Jeremiah. It is the plan and hope that cannot be described simply in the here and now, but is made real through the making of all things right. It is the hope of a new heaven and a new earth. It is the hope of a future where God is the ruler and all is as it was created to be. Our hope for the future is an eschatological hope. It's a hope for the end. It is a hope for an eternity with God. Matthew 6 recounts the story of Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. And verse 9 says this, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Second only to God's holiness is the supplication, the request for the kingdom to come on earth. The Lord's prayer is about seeking the kingdom, the restoration of God's people here. He is calling you. He is calling each of us to be a part of an eschatological community. It's just a big word that means the end. He's calling you to allow your hope to be grown in him. We're not called to read the prophets and Paul and the book of Revelation for signs of the end. We're not called to sit around and wait. The church is called to be a colony of the kingdom of God amid the kingdoms of the world. We are called to be citizens of a different kind. We are called to be God's ambassadors to the community where everyone is invited into reconciliation. The church provides a future hope, but it's a present hope too. It comes when we work to make the kingdom come. When we earnestly work to set things right, our hope is raised for the future by working for the kingdom now. The kingdom is what we are to hope for here and now. This is the hope for the future, but it is for now also. But it has massive future implications. What you choose has massive future implications. 
There is a hope for the future, but it isn't what you think it is. The hope is not for us as individuals, it is for the kingdom. It brings you individual hope, certainly, but it is about how you choose to participate in the kingdom. You are called to work for the future hope. You are called to restore the right order. This is why the church fights for justice. This is why we give to the poor and serve the needy. This is why we welcome people to work out their faith with God. This is why we make a place at the table for the sinners, the downcast, the broken, and the damned. Are you living in a world that puts the kingdom first? Are you hoping for a future that involves the restoration of God's people? Or are you hoping for a future of wealth, of a family, of people who love you, notoriety? Are you hoping for your children to be great and to get into the best college and get the best scholarship available? Or are you hoping for the healing of the sick the restoration of the poor. There is a hope for the future and it is realized by working for the kingdom of God now. Our hope grows when we focus on the future and work to make it a reality. Our hope grows when we focus on the future and work to make it a reality. We are the church. The church lives in light of that coming renewal, the hope of the reconciliation of all things by God. By its worship and its witness, it anticipates the renewal and participates in the reconciliation. This isn't a task for your pastors or for your leaders. This is a task for you if you believe. You are called to live out the worship of the church. You are called to be witnesses. This is a place where we should all feel welcome and invited to seek God and to live it out. You are the church, pray for the kingdom and seek it earnestly. This might mean changing some priorities. It might mean rethinking the goals you have for your life, for the life of your family and your children. I watch hope heartbroken at times as you set the standard for what is expected and hoped for in your own lives and for your kids. This task is probably the most difficult task of any in following God, but we have been overwhelmed with a multitude of tasks, activities, and responsibilities that take place of us seeking the kingdom and being a part of the kingdom. Is your next promotion more important than God? Then stop acting like it is. Is your kid's homework getting great grades more important than them finding space for God? Is that traveling soccer or volleyball or football team more important than helping your kid focus on the best hope there is? Is retirement and rest and doing what you want more important than continuing to seek and explore what God has for your wisdom and faith that can be shared with others? There is a hope for the future. Are you living like it? I experienced God challenging me to live out my faith. 
not for my sake, but for the sake of the kingdom. And I have had plenty of opportunities along the way to bail on that call. But God has actually been faithful to continue to reveal and grow my heart. He's made in a, for what he has made and equipped me to do for his kingdom. And so I get to take part in his kingdom in the present with a faithful expectation of what is to come in the future. When I finished high school at 17, I was looking for a place to serve and every place I went to would not have me. (laughs) You're 17. God provided an opportunity for me to work in a junior high program in a different church than my own. And it didn't fall in love with serving middle schoolers in that place but I had two amazing eighth graders who made sharing life fun, who made sharing and being real about the kingdom realistic. It wasn't that it was, I wasn't sure that it was for me, but it was a place where God began to tug at my heart. I went to college and was given the only role in my church that made sense for a 19 year old with no musical ability that was serving with middle school students. In school, I fell in love with Eric Erickson's stages of development. And I triggered on adolescence because it was the point that was most inspiring to me because it was in adolescence that identity is formed and shaped. I graduated 20 and was hired by a church. And all I actually was capable of doing was to show God's love to middle school students who desperately needed love. I went to seminary and I was hired by a large church to do part of their middle school and high school ministries. And I came to a realization that over the previous five years, God had placed me exactly where I was supposed to be, where I needed to be to find my calling to serve 11 to 14 year olds. I enjoyed my time with high schoolers for sure, but in many ways they felt beyond saving. Sure, some of them still chose to follow God, You know, that 16-year-old is not changing his opinion, right? Sure, there were those who figured it out, but my middle schoolers were raw. They had no identity of themselves, of their own. Their rebellion and craziness wasn't a result of just being ridiculous. It was a result of seeking belonging. Their hatred of authority was out of a desire to find themselves, not to simply be contrarian. And I also realized with that beginning with students at the age of 11, I got a unique ability to speak God. And I got the unique ability to speak life into their identity as they became adolescents and as they worked that out into adulthood. You see the future is bright. There is a hope for the future. Middle schoolers are filled with hope. They are valuable. They are moldable. A tweener teen encompasses the hope for the kingdom. They have a choice to become whoever and whatever they want to be. They can choose to follow God or they can choose not to, but what they choose changes the future. You have the ability to be the example of the kind of community The kind of community of people where God is sought fervently. 
You have the choice to set the priorities. You have the choice to live out the kingdom now, in the present. You have a choice to choose your future. There is a hope for the future. Will you choose the best hope? Will you align your desires with God's? Will you live out making the church a place where we work as God's ambassadors to the world and inviting, sharing and inviting others into the reconciliation of God and into the community with you? The kingdom of God has come near. There is a hope for the future, but it is for the community, not for you. You get to choose to take part or not. My call and my hope comes from working with middle school students. Where does your hope lie? How are you aligning your future hope with God's plan for the kingdom? Our hope grows when we focus on the future and work to make it a reality. I'd like to invite you to join me now as we kind of close our time uh, to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And that's something that's unfamiliar in our setting at times, but it's something that speaks to the life of community and of kingdom. So if you would stand if you would find the person next to you and you would join hands with them. And together, let us pray the prayer that the Lord taught us. We'll use sins today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Go today and find your future hope for the kingdom. Find your hope that lays with the hope of God. May you seek to endear the kingdom on the hearts of your children, and may you live it out in your community. Go with God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.